Well, I'm live at the Red House with Sam Foster, and thank you for coming over and hanging out with me today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So you uh, have some stuff in the works musically. I do. Yeah. Got a record coming out June 17th, and two singles are already out. It came out in April and got one more coming on May 20th. Well, so tell me about the record. Well, it started life as a, uh, a Whiskey Foxtrot album, which is this band I was in. And uh, then the band broke up. We had a whole album recorded, and we were ready to start mixing, and the band broke up. Hmm. So Seth, my partner and I that started Whiskey Foxtrot with, we decided we'll each take our songs and you know make our own records and do that. So half of it was recorded with Whiskey Foxtrot. And then most of the same players that were on that ended up playing on the rest of the record with me. Um and so that's uh, musically that's kind of how it started recording wise but i feel like the record's a it, it's a departure from some of the stuff that i had written about in the past which had been me being a sad bastard <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah how many how many songs can i write about a girl breaking my heart and they're all the same girl like what's yep yeah i know that game yeah yeah so well, that inspires, uh, that evokes a few questions, one of which is, you know, in what way do you notice this departure? I'd started right before uh, we started, right before the pandemic, I quit drinking. Hmm. So that's two and a half years now. And I'd always heard everybody say, oh, your mind gets really clear when you get sober. And I just thought, oh, you know, that's a bunch of bullshit, you know, but it's true. Like, after I quit drinking in the first six months of you know, being home alone in the pandemic and seeing everything that's going on in the world, like you start to realize the world doesn't revolve around you. Mm. And there's things you I've said and done that have affected other people than just myself. And so it was kind of getting a little introspective in that regard, starting to pay attention to things other than my own bottom line. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a quick second. Cause I'm gonna be honest with you. I, lately have been really wanting to address my tendency to like uh habituate habituate or or be habitual with things mm-hmm. uh including alcohol including nicotine things like that uh i mean how how do you describe what it was like to go about just saying fuck it i'm going to do this i'm going to like cut this out of my life it wasn't that hard i don't know if i was like addicted like some people are my, i think mine was just being my mid-20s, early to mid-20s, and overdoing it and just being a dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I never thought I had, like, a problem, but then, like, the last year or so I was drinking, I noticed myself getting angrier Mm. and waking up regretting stuff that I had said. And that wasn't like me because I was always, you know, a fun drunk. And I think deep down I had some other stuff I was working out uh, in that in that time, I had lost both two of my grandparents, my dad's parents. I was working through that. Uh, was changing day jobs. Had a relationship that kind of went sour, and it it all was kind of culminating and manifesting itself in anger when I was about a twelve pack deep. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've seen that. I know what you're talking about. Uh, I think I, I mean you know I ain't gonna lie. I've had my own instances of 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 seeing it manifest in places and uh yeah i'm real curious about that i mean i think it's you know i don't hate drinking i mean i I drink now i don't i don't hate drinking or anything but 
I admire it in people who can control something like that because it's such a accepted substance that so many people rely on and so many people mm-hmm. use all the time. I think more than we even like to acknowledge, you know, uh, on an individual on an individual basis, how regular it is for people to consume alcohol all the fucking time. Yeah. So I think it's kind of cool when somebody just says, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get control of that demon while I while I feel like it. Yeah, it's hard in this industry too. I mean, especially like when I was in Whiskey Foxtrot, we were very much a bar band so we'd go play and we turn around and there's five shots of whiskey lined up yeah in front of the stage i don't yeah. like that at all uh it's fine it's fine it's whatever but yeah that feeds into the the notion i guess that like i used to hate when i would go out with my band and like even bar owners and shit would try to just feed us shots throughout the show and i'm like i'm trying to put on like a legit show here yeah. i'm not trying to put like I have a responsibility to maintain a certain level of quality here. Like, why are you trying to get us fucked up? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I've found that after quitting, when people, you know, oh, let me buy you a beer. Let's do a shot. And you just say, no, you know, I don't do that anymore. Most people have been pretty, like, respectful of it. And they're like, that's really good, you know, and they don't try and force it on you. Because I'm sure you've probably seen some people just, you know, pour it down your throat. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, so, so what happened creatively then? Like as your mind started to clear up and as you started to like this, this manifestation stuff kind of started to go away, what did that do for your songs and for like the way you made music? It, uh, really made me be more open-minded on the musical side of it. Um, my bass player, Brad Cardill, he had always, always tried to push and be like, you know, just don't do the same thing over and over again. You don't have to go one, four, five, verse, chorus, chorus, and and all this stuff. So musically, that you know, it made me want to be more open and listen to things that I might not have considered before. Mm. Where before I was just listening to Dwight Yoakam, Bruce Springsteen, Waylon Jennings. Like now I'm listening to the National, and you know, even listening to like just some pop music. Just don't have to copy it, but like just anything. Yeah. Uh, but lyrically, that that was the kicker for me. I quit drinking, and then a couple months later, uh, I was having a conversation with someone close to me, and uh, they were worried about coming out of the closet and uh, and how they would be treated and how you know their friends would be treated for for that. And you know, in the Bible Belt, that's a that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, that's bullshit. You shouldn't have to worry about waking up and how you're treated and and nobody should have to worry about that. And then it clicked in my head. I was like, oh, shit. It's not just that. This is everyone that's not a straight white dude has to wake up and and worry about their own existence in some capacity every single day. Hmm. And then we get into the pandemic, and everybody's mad because they're wearing a mask because, you know, when they go to the grocery store. And then George Floyd got killed. And I was like, as a straight white man from rural North Carolina— I can't keep my mouth shut and like in good conscience, not speak up and try to help. Interesting. Yeah. So the title of the record is heat waves and that's the title track is about the idea of not wanting to be a good Southern boy. Like we're taught all these things in church and school, a certain side of history and it's saying fuck all that pretty much. That is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and like, I don't know. It must be obvious. I don't. Anyway, for I don't know if it's weird to notice this or say it or not. But like, I'm. I also am 
of the rural North Carolina, rural South, like uh, like identity and like breeding and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So then, like to, it's like if you if you just walked into a place and somebody was trying to take a guess on who you were with like your old truck and your camouflage hat and your yeah. pretty thick accent, they wouldn't come up with that. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that that's kind of the thing is like people are, you know, people have made assumptions about me, but I've never had to worry about going out in public and getting killed for it though. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the thing is like I don't have all the answers and know everything, but like, damn, I can listen and have empathy. Yeah, yeah. So this is very interesting territory for, to, to me. So, so at what point did you? I, like, I'm guessing that that whole good old boy Southern mentality, whatever identity, that that's something that you've grown up around. Oh. Maybe it was something that was put on you. Yeah. At what point did you say, I don't know if that's totally me. I don't know. I might depart from that. Well, it's not necessarily that the good old boy thing. It's just about, like, there's nothing wrong with being Southern. Um, BJ Barham from American Aquarium did a great interview. Um, and he was talking about that. Like, the South has the best culture, the best food, the best literature, the best music. But there's a lot of things we've done that are fucked up in the South. So, like, it's embracing certain parts of it and saying, hey, we need to work and grow here. So, like, there's nothing wrong with wearing a camouflage hat and, you know, carrying around a Yeti cooler and driving a jacked-up truck or whatever. Um, As long as you're, you know, trying to be better and help, I guess it sounds really cliche way of saying it, but you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know identifying i'm picking up like identifying traditions or whatever that might feed into you know th- things that we associate particularly with being in the south or being southern uh not carrying on those the negative aspects of those traditions yep. or whatever way of life yep yeah 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 uh i mean i fuck with that totally man i mean i think and there there's been kind of a you know, I mean, of course, there's certain examples of it where you can understand where people are coming from, but I do dislike the association because it's it's just tough. It's like n- like I some I, sometimes I have felt like the easiest thing to do. Of course, it's the easiest thing for everybody to do is to kind of simplify the people they don't identify with mm-hmm. down to just like the worst version of what they think they are, and yep. so everybody thinks that we are all like uh whatever your worst nightmare is that you might associate with with uh with uh Charlottesville Virginia or something and it's like it's like there there's there's southern conservative people and when we say conservative i'm talking about like in their nature more so than in their political beliefs or whatever i'm not talking about what color they vote or whatever i'm talking yeah. about like people who wear their hair short and like like old clothes <laughs> that don't that make them look really plain and not flashy and that though there are people who might look that way that aren't like the worst version of what it is to be southern and i it's like i have there there is a bit of a sadness i think that i've felt uh for a while feeling like there was so much uh not not good examples of that existing, I guess, like around us and people appreciating that the way that I feel like it ought to be appreciated. Yeah. And it seems like over the last couple of years too, those kinds of people, like we've seen everybody's true colors come out and I, I don't know how to explain it or even how to like 
take it in really like we see the worst sides of those people and I, I hate to say the you know us and them but and myself included I've done stuff that and said stuff that I'm not proud of but we've seen true colors come out and it's we're not always helping ourselves like to for progress mm-hmm. yeah I want to, I guess I want to better understand which aspect it is that you're talking about. I think like if you like, I don't, I'm not asking you to go out on a limb and tell me all of your political beliefs, but I think I'm saying like when you were just talking about like seeing the worst color, like what are you remembering? What, what are you haunted by? (laughs) It's just like from the beginning, like of the pandemic, it was being mad because you had to wear a mask in the grocery store and then people are protesting because of, a man got murdered in Minnesota. It's like we've seen these, it just everybody's gone to extremes either on one, one side or the other. And especially there's more hate and vitriol from one side in particular. And it's like, well, damn, you couldn't have a little love and empathy. Like you don't necessarily have to agree with everything I'm saying and vice versa, but like someone lost their life. You know, people are dying across the globe from a virus. Like, how is this political and you're just focused on your own self? Mm. How can you not have a little compassion for somebody else when, you know, being in the South and you're supposed to be a Christian, you're supposed to be compassionate. Mm. Like, you know, that's the whole thing, right? And like, you know, love your neighbor as you would yourself. But it, it, it wasn't that like, it's just, it was just like, well, I've got to wear a mask. This is up, you know, all these, you know, the protesters, you know, they're blocking traffic. I'd whatever, like, Come on, man, like, focus on the bigger picture here. It's not just about you, hmm. the greater good and all that. Interesting, yeah. interesting. So, uh, okay. Uh, so do you talk about, like, politics and religion and stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, I will. And, like, I'm not the I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I don't know everything. And my biggest thing is just, like, trying to pay attention and listen to people that, you know, that are probably no more than I do and listen to other stories that aren't in any way related to mine. Yeah. Uh, are you, are you a religious dude? I grew up in the church. Um, but me and the big man, we have an understanding. Yeah. <laughs> in the words of the big Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been to church in a while, but, uh, yeah, I grew up in the Methodist church, went to a private Baptist school for high school. So which one'd you go to? Calvary in Winston. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I went to Woodland Baptist. Yeah. And now in Rural Hall, but yeah. it was in Winston at the time. Yeah. Uh cool. <laughs> I know that life a little bit. Yeah. Um I didn't take to it too well. It didn't I didn't mesh well in that environment. Yeah. Uh I don't know how you I don't know how you felt, but I was very much a product of my environment at that time and it wasn't until after I graduated and got into the world I was like this may not all be entirely right. Yeah. I'm very thankful. I think I did get a good, like, education there. My parents, you know, paid for me to go there because before I started, I was homeschooled and uh, was running with some rowdy people. So they sent me there to mellow me out. And I'm very thankful that they did because it could have gone an entirely other way. But yeah, um, it, wasn't all, it wasn't all right, everything they taught us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like my education suffered pretty hard going to the school I went to. But, uh, you know, I think it was just for my family, it was kind of like they liked the cautious road Mm -hmm. of like kind of uh, 
kind of keeping like a bunch of my family were either homeschooled or like went to a Christian school. I think the vast majority. No, what am I saying? All of us went to Christian school. Yeah, all of us did on that side of the family. And I think it was just about like brand. Everything has to be branded Christian. Like every everything about our life is Christian. Yeah. And uh, that's sort of what I hated the most. I think about it. I I liked being able to do sports and stuff at such a small school because I'm I'm five seven. I wouldn't have like <laughs> I wouldn't have been on the basketball. I wouldn't have made the basketball team at Calvary probably. Yeah. But uh, at Woodland I did and. So that was a benefit of being there. But other than that, I hated that there was like Christianity associated with like every subject that really bothered me for some reason. Cause it felt like, man, you're narrowing down every subject we deal with as like, we have to look at it through a Christian lens, like two yeah. plus two equals Jesus equals four. Yeah. And it's like, geez, come on. We, there were a, a few teachers that we had that were younger. And when I say younger, I mean, when we were 16, they were probably 10 years older than us. They had just graduated college, and um, one of them was, he taught us American government, and that was, I was so thankful that he taught that class looking back because it wasn't just, well, this is the American government. It's democratic. It's a republic. It's capitalism and all this stuff. Like, like we read excerpts from Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto and would, like, learn about wow just a little bit about, you know, everything else that wasn't America. Yeah. And so I, I'm very thankful that I had teachers like like him. Yeah. yeah. Well, Calvary's a not a, I mean, from seeing it from the outside, it was a bigger school, I think, and like a nicer, more, probably more, it probably, it probably was just a better school to be at, you know, so I'm not too surprised to hear that. But there were just, like in your experience, so there were some of those teachers. It's like, yeah. Yeah. God bless them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So what is the difference between being a Methodist and a Baptist? I, dude, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I don't know anything about Methodists. Methodists are quiet during service. That's you know, probably you, the biggest difference. You don't get difference. any amens and any hollering. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of that. Yeah. There was one that would just sit in the balcony and just, everyone just, uh, she would just start screaming and waving her arms up like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when I was a kid, they would like run around the, run around the church while music was going on. I mean, it was wild back in the day. It kind of calmed down over the years. Yeah. Calvary wasn't like that because it wasn't like Southern Baptist, but it was, it was, I guess, Baptist by affiliation. Mm. Um, but their, like their services, the ones that I went to were always a little bit more, uh, modern. They had a, you know, praise and worship band playing and it wasn't like going to, uh, you know, the back road Southern Baptist, heavily bible thumping yeah 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 so i mean i th I think we probably have some stuff in common there about our paths and about kind of like coming from a certain traditional way of existing and this is what i find so interesting is like coming from all these traditions finding ourselves maybe going in like at, at least is, this is what i'm getting from talking to you uh that we have this in common like maybe departing from some aspects of these traditions and like leaving behind the parts that maybe we didn't feel like we need to take with us yeah but then still keeping keeping that keeping the stuff that's like usable yeah and that's what's so interesting i think is like uh, some people seem to it's like it's hard it's hard to wrap your head around that for some folks to maintain maybe the whole southern thing the whole like uh all the other aspects of being southern without all the 
without all the stuff that maybe it's necessary to depart from yeah. in this day and age. Yeah. Kind of thing. That's, nailed it on the head there. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> so is that also going back to your album? Is that like kind of what happened with this? Is that what happened with your music that you recorded? Like it, it does it, when you were talking about sort of like departing from what you usually do and going into these new territories, is that kind of, is that reflective of your experience just in your own identity as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, uh, musically too, I tried to get away from sounds that I'd used before and just like, because you always want to grow as an artist, right? And not make the same record over and over again. At least I do. So it was a shift in the lyrical content and growing and, uh, and leaving certain parts behind musically and lyrically, because and it wasn't just the the social concerns and the aspects of my lyrics, but it was also storytelling mm. and uh, telling other stories that I had heard growing up, or even you know I talked about my own sobriety, or just trying new lyric writing methods, you know, like doing some stream of consciousness stuff, just mm. just to see if I could do it. And I don't think it exactly came out that way, but. I tried. <laughs> How did you step into that territory? I was listening to a lot of Bob Dylan. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, that, and not that anything on the record is it can even touch what he's done, but like there's a couple songs I was like, I'm just going to start writing and see what happens, and then maybe later I can go back and edit, which I guess is not totally stream of consciousness. Mm. Um, so, yeah, a, a couple songs came out that way, and then I go back and edit. Uh so it's kind of there, I guess. You like how they came out? I do, yeah. A couple of my favorite songs on the record. One actually ends up being a, a, the single that's coming out on the 20th. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. What's that one called? Custom Deluxe. Custom Deluxe. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, okay. So that's pretty interesting. So, <clears throat> so you were just kind of ready to depart from writing the old usual relationship romance songs. Mm-hmm. How do you usually write songs? Like, do you usually write them in a very structured way? Very much, yeah. It starts out, you know, I'll think of a line or something and roll it around for however long. And it, when I hear that line, it usually comes with a melody, and and I kind of know where the chord progression is going to go with that, and then I'll get the basis of it. And then it, I'm guilty of being very rigid of doing verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus chorus you know for a song yeah um so yeah it's it's very structured in that way it's like well i gotta have another verse i gotta have another chorus um but I'd, i'm i've never been good at sitting down and like just forcing myself to write it's like when i do nothing good is going to come out of it like i'm just going to end up wasting my time mm. um, i usually have to wait for that inspiration to hit so if that line's rolling around if it's good like usually the rest of the song starts coming pretty pretty soon thereafter. I don't have to work with it that long. Hmm. I like. I don't mean to keep just like throwing that, like going back to the same thing, but I just mm -hmm. want to hear more about, like, I guess why you like the subject matter you were led to start writing about. Um, I guess I I don't know. I'm just fascinated by that, particularly because I'm so. There's so many different ways to the, to organize all the information from the last two and a half years and even further back than that. But, um, I'm, I, I think I'm interested in 
how somebody like an artist navigates what it is to like um, voice opinions that affiliate you with certain things or whatever. And I, I have to navigate that myself. And then, uh, and then I think it's also like a question of, um, of how explicitly you like go into these subjects on the album. And like, if it's like when people listen to this, is it, are there, is there going to be a song where they're like, Oh fuck, that's like a protest song. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think there's, it wouldn't quite be that. My main goal was to, if nothing else, say that, I'm listening and I'm paying attention and I, I want to help. I want to be better. Um, that and to be able to, for people to listen to these songs and if they're actually understanding what I'm talking about, they can either get mad or, you know, whatever, or misinterpret it. The heat wave song, the hook in it is, I don't want to be a good Southern boy. And you know, someone's going to hear that and think, hear Southern boy, and that's all they're going to take away from it. But the the main goal for writing like that song and the other ones that go with it was to be able to have a conversation so if someone from any side comes up to me at the end of the show we can we can talk about these things just like we're doing now it's like Mm. well what are you saying what do you mean you don't want to be a good southern boy when we're standing at the merch table and then we can go down that rabbit hole and then one of the other singles loud and clear that came out that was that was one i wrote saying I'm listening. This message is, is coming in loud and clear. Like, I see what's happening. I don't n- know everything, um, but I, I'm paying attention. Hmm. Yeah. That is the second song that I'm aware of that's connected to this subject matter that has the word loud in it from, like, a local-ish artist. Yeah, what's the other one? Uh, Get Loud by The Collection. Yeah, I'm not familiar with them, and I think I should be. A lot of people are familiar with them, or whatever, and they released a song, yeah, called "Get Loud" that was specifically about that stuff. And anyway, I'm just uh, interested, I guess, in that overlap in imagery and stuff. Uh, not just imagery. Oh, well, it's not quite imagery, I guess, but it's more of a, a poetic, like a metaphor for something like action. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, so what if I invite you to just kind of talk a little more about this whole Southern boy thing? Like, I just kind of, I keep wanting to hear more about it. I don't, I mean, yeah. I, like if, what about it? if I was that dude that came up to you at the merch table and was like, what, what were you, what were you talking about this here? Um, I know you already introduced this subject once already, but I think I'm just, I'm just curious to hear you introduce it again. Well, I mean, someone like that came up and they were wanting to talk about it, it'd be, well, what do you mean you don't want to be a good Southern boy? And it's like, like just like what we talked about before, it kind of opened that conversation by saying, you know, the, the line comes from uh, a friend and I were having a conversation about, like, you're taught, like we said earlier, you're taught this certain side of history and, like, you know, the Civil War was fought over states' rights. Well, states' rights to what? And is that... Sorry, I don't mean to. Yeah. N- never mind. Never mind. Just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and but you know you're taught all these things, and you're a good Southern boy, and you know your your history, and you know why the Civil War was fought, and you grow up in church, and you go to church every Sunday, and you're going to get married when you're 23 years old, like that whole thing. Um. So just trying to breach these conversation topics with anyone that may not agree with me or does agree with me, like 
I don't know. It, it could go any direction, really. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. Because that, I mean, that's like the whole thing is we can't just sit here and like we can argue with each other, but we have to be able to have some kind of understanding with people that don't people that don't think like myself and, and vice versa. Like how else are we going to get anything done and actually make things better if we're not listening to each other? I know that's, that sounds cliche as hell too, but like, especially in the last two years when everybody's been screaming into the void of social media and it very quickly becomes an echo chamber because it's easy to unfollow, you know, your uncle that goes around waving a Trump flag. Like, yeah, that's what bothers me. Because I don't think it sounds cliche. I, I really, I mean, it's like, it's more of a real life problem than I think people want to admit. And it's it's just fucking constant. It's like always something new to like be divisive with. And it's like, it doesn't matter if it's a podcast host or if it's a, a, a fucking late night TV show or who's on this person's album or whatever. It's every day. I see the. it's like people are proud of their participation in the fight of, of like outrage and like, let's stir up more outrage and let's divide further and further. Yeah. It's, it's gross. It's like almost sickening to watch this stuff unfold every day. And I don't participate in it anymore until I feel like I reach a point where I just like, it's unethical for me to not like at least voice who I am in mm-hmm. some kind of way. I don't ever like go on somebody else's shit and like try to participate in that shit. But, and and I don't really unfollow people for their beliefs. You know, no. uh, I want to see what the hell is happening around me. Cause as far as I can tell, every direction that I look is getting more pathological mm-hmm. and more just like there's le- there's less cohesion between people. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what the fuck to do with it. I don't either, man. Like it's, and I, I'm guilty of, you know, unfollowing somebody because I didn't like what they posted, but, you know, I try and check myself on that sometimes. But I, social media is just like the worst thing for it, too. Like, it's totally different, like we were saying, talking to someone at a merch table than it would be getting into an argument with someone on social media. That's, that's why I just get on and, like, post shit about shows coming up and, you know, hey, the record's coming out. You know, you can download it at this link. And other than that, like, just refrain from getting on because it's exhausting. You spend yeah. a couple hours on there and just want like take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes my brain tired yeah. like a lot. Uh, and I don't use it for those purposes too much. I'm more of just like a, a like neutral observer. But like I say, I mean, I do like seeing where the tides are shifting because mm-hmm. I I don't know. I feel like I'm. Uh, that's how I feel like I know what's happening ar- around me because it's not. I mean. I don't know. It's confusing. You have to like measure which of these are more valuable, kind of like what you're just pointing out. Like if you and I, if I, I don't know if I was like, if right now, if when you got here or something, I don't know if I had a flat tire and I was like, shit, like Sam, could you help me like sort this out? We probably, it wouldn't come up. It wouldn't matter to us. Yeah. Like who you voted for or whatever. We'd have like some task that we were trying to do. And we would try to be helpful with each other. It would be cooperation. Yeah. Like it's a perfect example of what the, the the setting in which cooperation is like appropriate. And then like you get in this realm of people's private minds where they just like it's a battle of words and private thoughts. Yeah. And that's where everybody hates each other. 
And it's weird. I don't know, honestly, hard to tell what's more valuable these days. Hard to like, it's hard to tell what's, it's, it's easy to tell which ones like people's real lives will be disrupted by something that they post in this world that's supposed to be fake. Mm -hmm. It don't feel fake sometimes. It feels like that's, it feels like it's almost currency, you know, this whole word battle that people are engaging in. Yeah. Well, when, when it's virtual like that, it dehumanizes whoever you're talking with. If you're getting in, if you have a disagreement and you're arguing with somebody like it's very easy to, you know, sit behind the keyboard and, and sling mud at the other side. And one line that's echoed in my head for a long time and not just within the last couple of years, but you know, Jeff wall, big dumb hick. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that song, love everybody and don't be a dick. Yeah. Like that's just like, that's a mantra almost like just wake up every day. like Love everybody and don't be a dick. That's what Jesus said. Yep. Pretty much. I like Jeff wall and I wish that I could, I saw him at a party the other night and I wish I could quote, I wish I could name the song that I heard him play, but I can't, I don't even want to, it's too, it's too upsetting <laughs> for people, for me to even tell the name of the song, but he's a funny fucking dude. He's uh, one of the most intelligent people I've ever like met. I too. believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. I, I don't think, well, I'll leave, I'll leave some you mysteries. Need, you need to have there. Jeff on here. I was planning to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the list is fucking stupid. How long of a list it is for people. I am stoked to have on here before too long, but, um, He's one of them yeah. for sure. I, I like that dude a lot. We did a show together. And you remember the test pattern? Yeah. We did a show together at the test pattern. It was several years ago on like a Monday or Tuesday night or something. Like it was us and I think like two other people were there. And I just, I remember it so vividly. It's like the only time I ever played the test pattern. Yeah. But with, it was with Jeff Wall. I'm, <laughs> prou- I'm proud of that one. God test pattern. Him. I don't remember if I ever played there. I kind of, I don't think I played there. I think, if I remember right, Test Pattern was after Elliot's Review. Maybe well after, actually. I think it was after it was a clothing store. And wasn't that like where they had free shows going on while they were like ticketed shows at the garage or whatever? Probably so, yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, by the time I was old enough to start hanging around town, like I only caught the garage like the last few years it was open. So I kind of missed the boat on that. Yeah. Because I didn't, you know, I was only over 21 like the last couple of years they were open. Yeah. Yeah. So How I'm old are you? 27. 27. Okay. Yeah. Not like crazy younger than me, but definitely I would trade ages with you if yeah. I could. But it's whatever. <laughs> I feel 50 someday, man. I don't know. <laughs> right now, my knee feels 50. I don't know what I've done to it, but I need to quit sitting like this. Uh, but the garage was a good time, man. You remember that uh, fucking... I don't know if you were a part of the scene when this happened. I, I almost, <laughs> uh, This is one of those moments where I forgot that we were on a podcast, and I'm like about to start talking some mad shit, but <laughs> I guess I'll just do it anyway. Um, I'm not talking mad shit, but do you remember when there was a, did you hear about it when there was like a meeting once about, um, sort of free events and the music scene and like, what are we going to do about the music scene? No, I didn't. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah. It was, it was just a wacky idea. Some people put together some sort of think tank that, as you can see, really did, uh, really changed the game, really improved things. Yeah. Uh, 
What were they going to just stop have like convince everybody to stop having free shows? Which I'm, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm for that. I am too. Uh, I mean, of course, like, like, yeah, that's something I think. You know, maybe people who aren't in the in the game, they might not be aware that we have that conversation, the musicians and stuff. And it's like I I have probably for a long time been a proponent of bars should just stop having music, like. Except for a few, except for like, like bulls, I think it makes sense. Like they, they actually are pretty passionate about the music. I think that they provide, they pay their bands. Uh, and the guys that used to play there, like even when I used to play there, whatever, it was more a culture of like, we love playing long shows and partying and stuff. Yeah. So it's okay. But other places that would just, that just have music that's just like, yeah, fuck it. Like on a Sunday afternoon or like on a Saturday night, like, yeah, we let some band just haul some shit in here and we pay them like $250 and they just do their thing. I just got, I just decided I was bored with all that because it, it got to, a you know, it just, it works against musicians trying to make a living, I guess, yep. um, to promote the idea that music should just be expected for free. So um, we could go down a rabbit hole here too. That's that's exactly where I'm at. Like in the last year or so since Whiskey Foxtrot split up, I was like in North Carolina and specifically the triad. I, I don't want to play any more free, like free shows. And if I do, it's going to be a certain thing. Like uh, the other weekend we did the out of the shadows uh, showcase at incendiary Bruin with, it was me, Casey Noel, Mac and the machine, all these people. But that, that's a different thing playing a free show that way, because that was, you know, what, six or seven bands, Original bands, yeah. not just cover bands. That's another thing. Yeah. Did y'all do a lot of covers in whiskey? We did when we were having to play the three and four hour shows. Um, but, you know, as the band went on, we were like, we put out a record and we were really wanting to focus more and, you know, just playing our original songs. But if we had to go play a three or four hour show, then we'd, you know, we'd throw, them, throw the covers in there. Yeah. I mean, you got to. Yeah. I, I'm... I try to be beyond that, but I'm still having to do some shows like that here coming coming up here soon. Yeah. Uh, and it's just how it works in some places, and I understand it, but it's it's weird. It's it's. I heard this quote the other day, or I read it or something, and it made me think. It made me think twice because I was like, "Huh, is that why I'm? Is that something I wasn't aware of? That's part of why I think this way." But it was said something like, "Give somebody, give somebody." Like something like an like free like free porn, free something or other, like all these things for free, and one of them was entertainment. Yeah, and it was basically this statement about like if you give people all this shit for free, they become dumb fat slobs that like don't give a shit about anything. They just become pointless. And I started thinking about that word entertainment because they didn't say art; they said entertainment, and I was like, hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And I started, like, I, I don't know. I just, that that stuck with me for a minute. But I think, for me, it's not an economic thing, the whole concern that I have for for the thing. it's it, it That's a part of it. I do want artists to be able to make money or whatever. But I think it's about a principle, about, like, how do whether we value art or not. And it seems like we're living in this way that suggests that we don't actually value art in terms of 
this the what we have in place as a symbol for how we value things, which is currency. Mm-hmm. We don't seem to want art to be a part of that exchange. And I don't know what that means, but I think it means something bad. Yeah, it, that kind of touches on too. Like I, I was thinking about this the other day, and and something I've been struggling with. Like we're we're now like back in the age where singles are a thing, right? Like you don't put out an album, you put out a single every month, and that's fine. Like that was, that's how it was sixty years ago. But like now, your art is being referred to as content, mm-hmm. and that just kind of like kills the whole thing when your art is just content and something for it's it's that entertainment thing right it's not art it's entertainment and it yeah it drives it into the ground i mean it does because i mean i don't i I guess i haven't really thought too much about the difference but entertainment feels like something that just is a way to pass time you know yeah and art and art is some i don't know what art is but it's it seems like something more significant than that for most people, at least for me as a creator. Yeah. It's not for me. It's making art. Sure. It's fucking a way for me to just pass time. I can do that. Just like f- watching YouTube videos, you yeah. know, like it means more to me than that. So it feels kind of shitty for it to be received as something much less than what I'm trying to make it be. Right. You know? So do you mind if I ask why whiskey Fox trot disbanded? Yeah, I mean, we just we were getting to a point where we we had some differences, and it seemed like a good time to to go ahead and split while the getting was still good, because it was probably one of the most amicable band split ups ever. Like Brad, that was uh, our bass player, he still plays with both Seth and I. Seth and I send each other memes all the time, and we still talk. Um, so it's just one of those things that you know needed to happen. Uh, Seth and I are two different writers. Uh, he has different tastes than I do, and it, it probably was not going to mesh as well together as we hoped it would. And uh, so, yeah, we just found a good time to to call it quits. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Uh, I didn't, I didn't realize actually until this conversation because I have known of Whiskey Foxtrot for a while, but I didn't realize that you were a part of that. Uh, so that like now it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so now with you doing this, taking on this endeavor as yourself or whatever, and however that looks for you, um, are you saying you're kind of like trying to go from transition from that whole bar band scene and partying and alcohol driven and all that to, to what? To, uh, just to you know, being an artist, right? Yeah. Um, and Whiskey Foxtrot was moving that way anyway. In the last year or two of the band, we were like, "Well, we don't we don't want to go play three hour shows anymore unless we have to." Uh, and so we were already thinking in that terms. Like n- nobody wanted to go play Allman Brothers and Waylon Jennings covers all night long anymore. And we were growing into a different band. So th- yeah, it's just an extension of that. It's like don't mind going and doing that if I have to, like in a new market where no one's ever heard of me. I do it just to start, you know, meeting people and, you know, play my songs and slip a a cover in there or whatever just to keep people listening. But, yeah, very much want to get away from just being the bar act. Yeah. There's sustainability in it financially. I mean, there's plenty of people, especially in this area, that make a good living doing that and good on them for it. But, like, creatively, I don't know that I could... I could do it. Well, definitely not creatively. I think also lifestyle wise, it's kind of tough, man. And 
you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties and I don't really want to be out till three in the morning all the damn time. And it's cool to like have the energy when I, when I do have to do something that it, that like requires a lot of energy late into the night, I can fucking do it. But it's, I, I don't know. It's just not, it's a tough lifestyle. It's, and especially if you're still drinking and like, if you're doing drugs and shit, yeah. it's, what do you do? Like, it's cool to do it right now until you're 40, but then what, what happens when you turn 40? Yeah, well, what happened? I mean, never trust a man that does hard drugs in his 30s either. Huh? It, I mean, yeah, really. Yeah. What, there's no appeal in that, no life sustainability in that. Going back, it's just, yeah, why? Yeah, I mean, I know, like, retirement savings and shit like that is kind of boring, but it's like, it might be all it's cracked up to be. And like it's, you know, <laughs> if you're gonna live to your to your older to live to your gray, it'd be nice to like be able to live. You know, yeah. by the time yeah, you're... cocaine's cool, but you know what's cool? <laughs> Not working till you die. Yeah. Four hundred one k. Yeah. Four hundred one cocaine with that Roth IRA. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you know, it's whatever. Which. For for the listeners who like to party and do drugs, you know, do your thing. There's nothing wrong with <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> it's just uh, everything in moderation, but including moderation, you know. So I'm all for having a good time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway. Um, <laughs> so what kind of boots are you wearing? These are Red Wings. What kind of boots you got on? There? These are Carolina. My granddad wore Carolina boots. Really? Yeah. I got these uh, when I started doing the cabin thing. Uh, I don't know if you've watched this show at all or not, but I've listened. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I ta- I've mentioned the cabin thing already, but um, these are my cabin boots, and uh, yeah, the, I can't wear them out. They just keep they just keep going. Yeah, it's good boots. Carolinas and Red Wings, like they just go forever. Yeah. Did you ever wear any Justins? Oh yeah. Yeah, I I liked Justins uh, at a time, but. After switching to these, these big heels instead of the like horse the the horse strap toe, I think I like the big giant boot better. Yeah, different boots for different purposes. For sure, yeah. for sure. Cowboy boots to wear on stage, you know, and these yeah. for working, shit kicking. Yeah. Speaking of working, what do you do otherwise? I uh, I work for an air charter company. Air charter. Yeah. So we you know do private sales. Someone will call up and say, hey, I want to fly from. Winston to Myrtle Beach or whatever. Damn. I'll, I'll run them a quote. Uh, do you fly them too? I don't. Damn. I, I have my private license, but <laughs> do I, you I, really? I don't fly. Yeah, I don't fly. Can't fly commercial. Um, yeah, that's it's pretty fun. Get to meet interesting people and being in the aviation industry, see some cool things. Yeah. And I've I've been working from home uh, for since before the pandemic actually, and I've been very very lucky that I work for a place that'll let me go and do shows and make records and you know as long as i get my work done that's they don't care yeah yeah uh that sounds pretty fucking cool like so do you ever do anything with that license like do you do you fly and stuff ever i have not been current in a couple years um yeah i mean one of the last times i i was on track to be a commercial pilot and then i started playing shows and i was like well now's the time to really give this a the old college try yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, we, you know, buddies and I would go fly down to like Southport and go to the provision company and get some shrimp and then fly home. And that is yeah, <laughs> really cool. One of the last times we flew down there, uh, I was dressed about like this. I did have on cowboy boots and we flew down to Southport and we get the borrow a car from the airport and we go eat and we're like, 
let's go walk around on the beach. You know, we're going to go, we're going to go pick up chicks. <laughs> Bird dogs and chicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we walk out on the beach, blue jeans, t-shirt, cowboy boots. And in the middle of summer, like people are just looking at us and fucks this. It's like, what are y'all doing? It's like, oh, we're pilots. It's like, cool. <laughs> it's like, don't look at, don't make eye contact with them. <laughs> well, these probably like, I want. I'm trying to picture with this plane. What size plane are we talking about? It's just a small uh, two seater, like a, a Cessna 172. For those that know what that is, yeah, for the yeah. plane people, yeah, yeah. Uh, is like you said, two seaters. Is, is this like, uh, you know, like a like a. <laughs> <laughs> is this the type of plane that you'd be you'd be you'd be likely to see in Alaska or in No, well, at 172s it's technically it has four seats but you can only fit like maybe three people in at the most. Mm. Um but they're common. I mean, they're one of the most produced airplanes ever. Like they built hundreds of thousands of them, if not near in the millions. Hmm. Um yeah. It's like having a Chevrolet pickup. It's the Chevrolet pickup truck of the sky. That is so cool. Are there, are there people out there in Davie County that have planes? Yeah. I grew up at uh, it was Twin Lakes Airport. My dad was a pilot, and so I grew up hanging around the local airport and being around all those people. That's how I got into it. Hmm. When I was in high school, I was like, I want to take flying lessons. I think I'll you know, give that a go and be a, be a pilot. Yeah. Which yeah. is still always an option. Because there's nothing's more exciting than either flying or like pouring your heart out in front of a crowd of people. I'd be happy with either yeah. either one of those. Do you have a preference? I doubt. I could I could do either one. But really, flying is like that interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It, it, particularly, I mean, I guess you're talking about particularly being in the driver's seat flying. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That is uh that's super cool to hear. So, so I mean, obviously commercial pilot probably the more like sort of in some ways pragmatic avenue to choose but you're giving music this shot when did you start do, like trying your hand at music in the first place uh I've, I've been playing guitar since i was 12 okay um and i you know always played and like in high school done talent shows and open mics and stuff at calvary they like once a year would have this big talent show and then like once a semester they would have an open mic where if you played or you wrote poetry or thought you could do stand-up comedy like you you can come and do anything so that I did that and it was always fun and I enjoyed doing it and then I graduated I was like you know I'd like to go play somewhere like I knew that there was little bars around that would have music like I remember dad telling me Ted's Kicking Chicken has bands like you should talk to them and I was working at Food Line and this lady would come in wearing a classic sports grill T-shirt. It was one that uh, the sports bar that was out in advance. I knew they had bands there, so I, think, I just asked her one day. I was like, "Who do I need to talk to to play there?" And she was like, "Me." I'm, you know, she was the owner, and I went and uh, talked to her one day, and she booked me for a show. And then I met James Vincent Carroll. Oh yeah. Um, and he he watched my set, and he was playing right after me. And he was like, "If you need anything, like you want to come play my breaks, whatever, like." Just call me. And I did. And so he introduced me to so many people. That's how I met Doug Davis. Yeah. And started hanging around, you know, with him, playing all the bars, clubs, venues, just wherever. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, those are both, you know, dudes I've known for forever. Yeah. Um, 
classics, I think. I might be remembering it wrong, but I think that was... Um, I used to play with a Davie County guy named Jonathan Luce, if you knew him. Name sounds familiar. I think the John, I think Classics might have been the first place me and John played together. Really? And then uh, that like turned into the whole thing. Like he was in my the band that I was in for um, you know for years. That that was like kind of the more uh, successful endeavor that I've had so far. Yeah. So that's pretty funny. Small world, and now it's Tanglewood Pizza Company. Might be better. Yeah. Because I think at Classics, if that's where I'm thinking of, I think that was where I was like playing a set, and I did what I could to make it like palatable for people. But the, the manager came up to me like in a break and was like, uh, yeah, do you know like any Leonard Skinnerd? And I was like, no, I'm, or that's not what I'm doing. He was like, yeah, people here really like it when bands play Leonard Skinnerd. I'm like, oh. that's what sealed the deal <laughs> for right. me playing at classes. Cause at the time I, I didn't have any songs of my own. I just wanted to play. Yeah. And, uh, Joanne, the owner, had told me to come up, and she was like, audition, you know. And I took walk in with my guitar and, like, a song list of stuff I knew, and I never even took the guitar out of the case. I just handed her the song list. She was like, you play the ballad of Curtis Lowe? And I was like, kind of, yeah. Like, my version of it, she was like, I like you already. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the that was the open door. That that opened the door. and Leonard Skinner opened the door. For yeah. It. Yeah, they closed the door for me. After that, I was like, I am... I don't like when people ask me to do particular songs. Yeah. Uh, fuck that. I would always tell people, like, because, you know, Wagon Wheel and Freebird are the cliches, but it's like we'd be out playing, at, like, doing acoustic shows. Seth and I, that's how Whiskey Foxtrot started. And we'd be playing. It's like, hey, y'all know, you know, Wagon Wheel or whatever? And it's like, yeah, it's $100. Yeah. And usually people would be, like, oh, you know, all miffed about it. But one night someone dropped a Benjamin Franklin in our tip jar by really? God, we played it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think it might have been that, but I, I think it actually at the garage, there was a sign on the wall yeah. right by the stage that said, wagon wheel not allowed, yeah. I think is what it said. Or no 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 wagon wheel. I can't remember what it said. I should have probably kept that. Uh, if I'd have thought about it, I should have snagged that sign, hung it on my wall or yeah. something. Good for Old Crow, though, for having a song that one is a co-write with Bob Dylan and be a classic of all time we any of us would be lucky to have that happen with one of our songs you know true yeah then again tom waits said once which ain't quite true but it is um tom waits said when he was being inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame that he basically was like you know uh they say in my they 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 level this criticism against me about my career that I've never had a hit and that I'm hard to work with. And they say it as if it's a bad thing. <laughs> and I think I get that. Like, wouldn't it, I don't know about you, but like, I've got songs that are maybe six years old that I don't, I don't play at shows. I, for me, it's almost like stand up comedy in a way. It's like, I, I play the songs I'm in the mood to play and the ones that I think will like connect with the crowd, depending on where everybody's at right now. Yeah. I don't want to go out there and it'd be like, it's like some kind of problem if I don't do the song that people associate me with or whatever. Like, I'm, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I think there's probably downsides to having like one massive hit. Yeah. It's not just them. I'm talking about fucking anybody yeah. who has like one massive hit. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, and it, it depends on the artist, too. Like, uh, I was, uh, you know, 
talking with a friend of mine about he went to see Bob Dylan when he was, I guess, in Durham or no, he was at the Tanger Center just like a month or two ago. Mm. And Bob Dylan is not like when you go see Bob Dylan, you know that you're not you never expect him what you're going to get. Like, yeah, he's not touring with the band. He's not touring with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He's not doing, you know, his early stuff. You never know what's going to happen. But people that know Dylan know that. And it's different if you, you know, a hit band in in the 80s and you had one or two songs that was huge. Uh, that, that's a different thing, and people are expecting to hear that. Yeah. Tom Petty's a good example of someone who had a, an everlasting career and could play any song from any era, and people are going to love it. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's to me, that's the epitome of success is to have long, like longevity within your success. And, of course, Old Crow has had longevity yeah. with their success. Like, they're still doing their thing, and they've – gone through so many different phases yeah. and everything and let the record show we're not shitting on old crow not at all yeah. no we're talking about the the theoretical possibility of like having a fucking like a massive hit like yeah. you said and uh yeah i don't know i mean i like bob dylan tom petty tom waits uh even more modern people ray lamontaine iron and wine father yeah. john misty like all these artists that i love the most uh even i mean and outside of these this tradition of songwriting like the fucking national uh who you mentioned earlier there's just there's not one song that i can, i'm gonna point to and be like yeah the one that that's in all the car commercials or whatever like yeah. that that's the one everybody loves like now nah, they're more understated and yet more successful yeah because they have such variety uh, among what like wilco's the same way yeah, yeah yeah they're a good example fucking lumineers i hate them <laughs> if i hear hey ho one more time i'm gonna kill myself yeah it better be goodbye, ho. <laughs> <laughs> that song and Mumford and Sons, I Will Wait, was huge. Like, my senior year of high school. Yeah. And every time I hear them, like, I just want to stick an ice pick in my ear. Dude, we need to talk about Mumford and Sons for a second. Like, all right. How do you feel about Mumford and Sons? <laughs> I know that one song, and that's about it. All right. I, d- I listened to the episode you did with Casey, and I heard some comments. So, l- yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go there. Well, I just... I was like thinking back on them because that that one was from their first uh, their first album. What was it? Little Lion Man was that? Oh, the dude, fr- I have no idea. Okay, I'm just uh, gonna listen to you go on a rant. Well, <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a ton to say. It's just I'm like they had so they had everything like they had so much potential to be re- like they were they probably are already like there was this there was this underground sort of build up of roots music there that mm-hmm. old crow was a part of. And like the Avett brothers were a part of and a bunch of bands like that. And then, and then other bands started to come into it. And I think Mumford and sons was the top of that mountain. They were just like, bam, we're the most successful. We're the most breakthrough, like mainstream version of this. So they were just in a really good position. And their first album was all like, if, 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 J.R.R. Tolkien had a soundtrack, you know, it's all just like they all, they sound kind of Irish and they all sound like they're charging out of a castle to win someone's heart or whatever. And they say, they say heart like 140 times in the album. The second one was like pretty good. I just don't understand how they became so uninteresting after that. That's, that's my only beef. They just became so fucking uninteresting and they had, so they were in such a good position to like, I don't know, like really carve out a corner for themselves in that world uh, and and like 
maybe carry that flame a little longer. And it just like to, for me as a, like a roots lover, I just feel like it died so quick. Like that, that the big roots push that happened back then just kind of died so quick. And they like their intrigue died so quick for me. Yeah. I don't have an opinion either way other than that one song. Yeah. You said, I will wait for you. That one. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much how the whole album was. Yeah. Like, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who are you into? Uh, Dwight Yoakam. I've met, he was, I remember that's some of the first music I ever remember hearing. Mm. My dad was a fan. And so he had all the albums. So Dwight Yoakam, Springsteen, Tom Petty, uh, American Aquarium. That's another big one for me. Mm. Oh yeah. And you're, you're getting to play with them, yeah. which is like pretty fucking cool. Yeah, bucket list. I can probably if if I don't do anything else with my life after the show, I can, you know, die a happier man. I guess. Well, that's good. I and hope I don't. But you know, no, I like, hope you don't too. <laughs> that would that would be weird. But when is the show? May twentieth. May twentieth. No, twenty first. Sorry, May twentieth is the single. Oh shit! When's this coming out? It'll be after that. <laughs> well, I hope y'all bought your tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will I will make sure to post something about that. Not that not that I'm going to be reaching that much people, but I'll try to celebrate you a little bit. You know it's fucked up. What's that? Paul McCartney's playing town the same night. Oh yeah. 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 People are going to be torn. He had his chance at fame like Yep. Yeah. And it's also, you know, for a for a good cause himself. too, like for this the Jimmy June concert series that we're doing. Mm. Um, my buddy Justin Saunders puts that together. So it's going to benefit the Randolph Family Crisis Center. Uh, so it's not just, you know, lining our pockets with money. It's for a good cause. You get to see three great bands and feel good. Yeah. Help out. Yeah, Paul McCartney really shot himself in the foot because I don't, you know, he uh, he just picked a bad night. Yeah. Sam Foster's playing at the Ramcat, man. <laughs> He's screwed. <laughs> I'm more like prodding uh prodding american aquarium than you i guess but no i like american aquarium though yeah what's his name bj 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 yeah, yeah. um yeah that dude has uh, it's he's he's a his focus i think for what he does has been pretty admirable to learn about like i appreciate him for for what he's up to that was what was inspiring to me like i've gone from as a kid like dwight yoakam to you know, Bruce Springsteen and getting into Dylan and all that stuff. And it's intimidating when you're like 17, 18 years old. It's like, how am I ever going to compete with born to run? And then I heard American aquarium and it just all clicked. Mm. And I, you know, found come across interviews and got more or less obsessed with it and very quickly learned about BJ's work ethic. Yeah. They were the hardest working band and in a way still are. Uh, It's like, it gave me a hope that like some, punk ass kid from Davy County can make something out of himself. Even yeah. if it's even if it's not Springsteen level, you know, songs or, or you don't have to be the best. You just have to outlive and outwork everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean Yeah, I guess there's very few people that are I mean there's very few artists that are seen as you know, like these iconic voices in the same way. Uh, maybe, maybe it's still the same ratio. I don't know. Cause like, I think people are starting to see other, other artists like in that same way. 
not what am I trying to say? I'm bouncing all over the place. For a minute, I thought that the day of the icon of like believing that artists' voices were important, or like when fucking Michael Jackson's funeral is on TV, like that level of import in other people's lives. I thought that was over, and I still think there's some of the icon status that's that's kind of over with. Uh, but you know, people do still talk about people like Phoebe Bridgers and Billie Eilish and stuff like they are super significant in such a way where their opinions matter more than the average person or yeah. whatever. So I don't think the icon is dead, but I think, um, yeah, like there's a much more practical thing to attain there, which is like the working musician and like the status of somebody who doesn't have to be you know, you don't have to be a household name and you don't have to be somebody who people look at and be like, we're waiting for you to tell us what we do now yeah. when when tragedy strikes the country or something. Like I heard a story about how I don't remember what the hell where I heard this story, but it was something about how people were kind of waiting for Springsteen to put out a song like after 9-11 happened yeah. or some shit. And I'm just like, what? Like, that's intense. That's like. That's pretty intense, you yeah. know, and I don't think that that is a status that... Have you have you read his, his autobiography? Nah. And I don't know if you do audiobooks, but, like, definitely do the audiobook because he reads it. Oh, yeah? And it's it's worth every penny of it. But he talked about that very moment, like, he was driving somewhere after... It was right after 9-11, and some guy on the street corner saw him was like, Bruce, we need you. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Could you like? Would you even? Would you choose to have that? I don't know. Like that. At some point, every artist has like thought about something like that. Like, oh, it'd be great to be that big. But would you want that? That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I'm not that intelligent of a person either. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know who is. And like, there's very intelligent people, and I still don't. I still don't run to them and think like, I need you to interpret this for me. Yeah. I wouldn't think to do that. I don't know. That's just a really interesting, strange thing that happens with people. Um, like creative, creative types, you know, and I don't know if I would choose that shit either. It's just, it's just a weird crown to wear. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, but we were talking about BJ, like, yeah, working hard, man. Like, um, you know, yeah, I I admire those people who are chugging away at it because it's fucking, it's tough, man. It's tough anymore. And it's, especially in the roots world, like the American or, you know, whatever you want to call it, like they're people like BJ who have just worked their ass off for it. Like it's very attainable, like, and it's not just one band that made it out of a hundred. You can look at the whole roots Americana scene and see you know, people at the top like Isbel. Mm-hmm. and the drive-by truckers and Margot Price and Brandy Carlisle and like all these people have been doing it for years and it's taken a while like they had to put a lot of work in and you know be broke for a while but like it's very attainable to like have a comfortable life and make the art you want to make and people give a shit about it yeah it is it's realistic more so than I think uh like what like when I was a kid other people you know, if I expressed wanting to do this shit, it was thought of as like this pipe dream, Yeah. you know? And it's like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a nine to five job. It's just like also night shifts. Yeah. 
kind of thing. The other nine to five. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Is yeah, it's like when was it the same for you? Like being a kid, like there's the stars you see on TV, someone like a Michael Jackson or a or a Garth Brooks or whatever, and like that was it. Like there was no. To me, there was until I got older and like started hanging around Winston. Like I didn't know that there was that. There's any middle ground. Like you were either a star or you weren't. You were either the guy that played your granddad's Martin D twenty eight on the porch, or you were George Strait. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Had no idea. Had no idea there were. I was telling Casey this. I, I had no idea there were movies that weren't blockbusters. Had no idea there was music that wasn't mainstream. All that shit. Yeah. And. And yeah, like the older I get and the more that I look around me, I realize it's like that's still that status that those people are at. It's just a facade. It's just like a, an imagination thing that that's being marketed to people. But like even Garth Brooks is just the same dude as you and I just yeah. just like extremely wealthy and successful and like strategized around and he got a break and he, he like did something real smart. But like all these people are human. I think when I was a kid, I saw all these people as, as like figures, you know, as objects Mm. that like had this status attached to them. Like they were almost ghosts. Like they were almost imaginary, but they're just like people that eat sandwiches. Yeah. And I did, I didn't know that for the longest time. Yeah. It's a, the image is a, it's an image in like a, a character in a way. Yeah. Like Bruce is one of my favorites. And so like, that's a prime example of like, he's the boss on stage, you know, and he's this larger than life figure, but like he comes off, he's just a guy and he goes and, you know, he eats dinner and he's with his family and like, he's not, yeah, it's an image. And yeah. And it's weird. I mean, it's weird for me because the other night, it sounds so weird to say this shit out loud, you know, but I had a real, <laughs> I mean, this is the point of having a fucking podcast, I guess is just being really honest about this shit. The other night I played a show with his and hers and like they, all, they looked all nice and everything. And, and I, I put on, I like put on one shirt before I went out and I was like, Mm-mm, ain't gonna wear this shirt. And I had this hat on and I put on my like black, like wide brim hat. Just like flat, flat brim. I look kind of Amish in it. And I like walked to the door and I was like, why am I wearing this fucking hat? Like, I'm doing the thing. Like, I'm creating a symbol of me. I'm creating this thing of me that if you saw me at Walmart dressed that way, you'd be like, who's this fucker think he is? Yeah. Or whatever. But when I go out on stage, I've got this other thing i'm doing and i almost took the hat off and then i like said no just fucking do the thing like just do the thing just do it and i just like walked out with it on and i was like okay now i'm out here so now i'm wearing this fucking hat but i before and and i will admit that in that space for some reason that whole thing this this like costume thing makes me believe the story that i'm telling people more so it like feels beneficial in some way yeah but I, I, I guess what I'm sharing with you is I feel conflicted with that. The same thing as cowboy boots. I was wearing cowboy boots that night. I don't wear them all, all the fucking yeah. time, you know. But what does it mean to, like, go into that space and put on that persona? Is it good? Is it bad? Does it matter, you know? 
I don't think anyone cares to be honest. Because I'm get, <laughs> yeah. like I do the same thing. Like if I'm performing, like usually I wear a Stetson and like I got on cowboy boots and and the whole thing. And but like really, I don't think anyone cares. But at the same time, like, and it's different with roots and Americana music. But I, I've heard a million people say like. When people go to see, you know, someone perform, they don't want to see the guy next door. They want to see this larger-than-life figure that's... And in Roots and Americana, like, it, it's not exactly that. But, like, yeah. I have this... I struggle with the same conflict. There's one of the last singles I put out was called False Poet Prophet. And it's kind of... I, I started out writing it being angry with and frustrated with the whole outlaw country image. You know, mm -hmm. it's like... You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. the, well, Wayland didn't do it that way. It's like, oh, give me a break. Yeah, fuck off with that. Yeah. But then as I kept writing it, I was like, yeah, this definitely applies to myself too. Like, who am I? I'm walking out. I'm wearing the Canadian tuxedo. I got on the Stetson and boots. Like, we tend to buy into and, like, have to commit to an aesthetic a little bit too much sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, no one cares. Well, they don't care about it like that. You're right. It's, yeah, I don't know. I I just don't know where to shape up with it. Like a band like Midland, I fucking love the way they do it because yeah. it's they're just so theatrical about it. It's like they're 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 dressed as like ridiculous throwback like rhinestone cowboys, and it's so cool. Like yeah. they they just zero self consciousness about it. They're just badasses about it. Uh, I think when I do it, I don't I don't know. Like because prior to the cowboy hat thing, I was actually just wearing this hat. I was wearing like the same exact outfit every show. And I knew exactly what I was, I was, I knew exactly what story I was telling with what I was wearing on stage. But then I've, it's been shifting and I think I don't feel like I'm in control of it right now. I'm kind of like observing it. And I think that's, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I understand about it. I think I just sometimes feel conflicted because I feel like I'm aware that I'm putting on some kind of like statement and I don't, and I'm not in control of what that statement is. And I don't know if I'm like confusing myself or, or if I'm like doing it for no good reason or some shit like that. Cause I used to just didn't give a fuck what I wore on stage. I would just, whatever I was wearing that day, that's how I showed up at the show. Yeah. So that's pretty much that dude next door. I feel like that's what fucking Wilco does too, in a way. Yeah. They are. They're the Wilco's the dads next door. Yeah. They just wear jeans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they, big jeans. <laughs> Jeff Twitty is the shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like how like bluegrass guys do it. Yeah, just wearing suits, just like yeah, fuck it. Yeah, just wearing suits, and I do that sometimes. That was a whole thing with uh, Steve Earle and Del McCurry. Supposedly, you have you heard that record they did together? It's no. back in the nineties. They did supposedly. I can't even remember where I heard it. My dad told me the story. I don't know if it's true or not, but. You know, the Del McCurry band, always very sharp, great band, like they're all wearing suits. And they make a record with Steve Earle, and they were going to do some shows, I guess, and Steve Earle shows up wearing a tuxedo T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that, there's video of it. Like, it's probably not far from the truth. That would be Steve Earle. Yeah. I will tell you this story that's kind of a heartbreaker. It shows you how fucking foolish I was at the time. But uh, I was going down to Texas an awful lot for a time period. Mm-hmm. And at one point, somebody said, hey, uh, there's this free concert going on down the road in San Antonio. It might have been Austin. Um, and we're, we're, why don't we go to it? And I was like, who is it? And they were like, Dwight Yoakam. And I was like, Dwight Yoakam? Like, he, 
I used to listen to him in like the nineties. Like, what is he even up to? Uh, didn't really think much of it. And I, I kind of talked myself out of it. Like, I feel like staying in, fuck it. I, I'm not going to go. And it was about, I don't know, two years later that I, I just like started to reconnect with, uh, I don't know. It started just like connecting more dots. And like, I guess kind of realized who Dwight Yoakam really was beyond just like the, not the, the, the three or four country hits or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've just felt like a real jackass. Yeah. Cause I could have seen the dude. He's he's beyond just yeah, like you said, beyond those you know few country hits in the nineties. Like he made uh, he makes Dwight Yoakam music. It's not necessarily country or rock. Like it's everything. Yeah, love it. It's like Texas as shit. It seems to me. Yeah, yeah. Those first few records were country as hell, like this hardcore honky tonk, and then he ventures into. That '90s stuff and got you know experimental for that type of music on it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Have you seen that video of him with the accordion player for? Um, she wore red dresses. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. It's. Uh, <laughs> Have you ever seen his music videos, especially the ones from the '90s? Yeah, yeah. It's like sh- short films. Yeah, yeah. I kind of went down that rabbit hole yeah. for Harry a while. Dean Stanton at a roller skate rink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's so art he's one of your dudes yeah well sam um i think we've covered it man yeah. um w- this might come out a little later but let's go over the time frame one more time for like uh for your releases for like your singles and your album and stuff yep uh two singles are already out loud and clear and false poet prophet on everything on everything wherever wherever you look it'll be there (laughs) the third single comes out may 20th it's called custom deluxe loud and clear and false poet prophet are the other two the whole album comes out june 17th nice heat waves uh we're doing an album release show that we i hope we're announcing late this week with Magnolia Green and Crenshaw Pentecostal. Oh, cool. At High Rock Outfitters. Nice, nice. Yeah, that'll be June 17th as well. Awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. We will try to, like, we. I will try to, you know, uh, remember He's talking to, to everybody else, too. <laughs> me, me and our community here. I don't know what the fuck, but I'll, I'll at least try to, like, reemphasize that message. So make sure you, like, send me some shit on Instagram or whatever. And yeah, we'll, appreciate like, I'll, it. You know, um, maybe I'll have a clip out from this show by you know around then or something but uh what's the album called heat waves heat waves yeah i thought that was a single for some reason heat waves okay um well shit sam uh i've really enjoyed like fucking breaking the ice with you so uh, this was fun i hope so i hope we'll do it some more i really enjoyed talking with you yeah likewise man all right man i guess we'll shut it down for today but thank you all right thank you (laughs) 